Hello again, I am Sam Vasquez, and this is Fall Risk. Hey guys, we are back with another episode of Fall Risk, where we talk about anything and everything skydiving. We've got a super-packed episode today with the extremely lovely Erica Mundinger. We also like to just call her Dinger, too, as well. So say hello to Dr. Dinger. (laughs) hello hello thank you so much for being on the podcast um i could go on and on about all of her many talents but i would think she (laughs) should probably give it to you herself so give us the rundown tell us tell us everything and anything uh Um, well yeah it's it's a really it's a very lengthy list of all the (laughs) the attributes i mean where to begin all your Uh, accolades all the all the accolades it's just so many. Um, no, I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I'm stoked to be here. I was really excited when you uh, messaged me. I was just like, "Wow, I get first time I get to be on a podcast. This is really cool." <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm just was. I was thinking back to like, actually, when you asked me to be on here, I was thinking back to the day of like when one of my most memorable skydiving boogies ever. Still to this day is when you came up to me and you're like. Dinger, do you want to go to Invasion Boogie with me? It was like back in 2011. I'm like, yeah, sure, that sounds dope. You're like, cool. Um, I'm not old enough to get a rental car. <laughs> Can you get the rental car? Oh, time has flown by. Flown. When I was getting a little squeezy, the rental car because she wasn't 25 yet. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, but no, I'm stoked to be here. Um. Yeah, so I've been, um, I don't know where to begin. I am, I am Dr. Dinger. <laughs> so yep. I guess, I guess that's my first accolade. I, I am a doctor of physical therapy. Um, I actually started skydiving right around the same time that I was graduating from PT school. Um, so that's why I got the nickname Dr. Dinger <laughs> early mm-hmm. on with uh, skydiving. So I've been jumping since 2006 and um, been a physical therapist since that time as well. So I've kind of spent the last several years, actually almost two decades, blending those two careers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was a physical therapist full-time, weekend warrior skydiver for most of the time up in Minnesota, where you could only jump a few months out of the year. Then a couple of years ago, I made the shift, you know, thanks to COVID, you know, making life really crazy for people. Um, had a midlife, mild midlife crisis at the age of 39, wasn't sure what to do. And so I was able to blend skydiving and physical therapy for the first time. And now I travel, live full time in my camper with my girlfriend and half the year I'm down at Skydive Arizona doing skydiving and doing physical therapy full time on site. And then half the year in the summertime, I do full time AFF. Awesome. Never thought I'd get to actually have a remote lifestyle where I got to live on a drop zone and work on a drop zone doing both physical therapy and AFF and fun jumping and load organizing. It's been really fun. Yeah, look at you now. Look at, I finally, finally, look at me go. 16 years, 17 seasons of jumping. I made it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing it. But it's been, it's been really cool. It's been a long haul to get here. It's awesome. I love how um, appreciative you are of it. Like right off the bat, you know, like you just like, you're. It's great. Yeah. It's it's awesome. It's awesome to see that. I like it. I think also when you're in a place like Eloy too, mm-hmm. it's a big pond with lots of big fish. Oh yeah. And it's you know places like this and be to 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 have longevity in this sport, you have to be humble because if mm-hmm. you're not, 
you will get eaten alive. And so yeah. I think just like to, to make it this far in the sport, like there's that thing of like, just always willing to learn, always willing to be humble and mm-hmm. just like have gratitude for the experiences you get to have. Cause at the end of the day, what we're doing is really kind of weird, but it's also really neat. You know, it's really, it's a really cool thing we get to do. And if you're going to go into it with any kind of um, an attitude, you're not going to have fun and you're not going to last. Yeah. So. And it's, and it's interesting yeah. having that perspective too, because you have, you have experience at all these different drop zones these days, you know, it's no longer just yeah. the, the, um, big pond up here, you know, I mean, it's got right. twin cities. You've been to all the other drop zones. You've been to bigger places. You've been to like, uh, other, other facilities that have a much wider spectrum of people. You have a way uh, deeper insight into how the community works, yeah. you know, and what they tolerate and what they don't tolerate. So for sure. Yeah. There's, there's definitely weight to a statement like that, especially with having the experience that you have, like, listen to her. Yeah, you will get eaten alive. <laughs> I like that. You will get eaten alive. You will get eaten alive. You will get told <laughs> what for my friend. <laughs> yep. So yeah. So I started at a little club drop zone, uh, Minnesota Skydivers Club mm-hmm. in Wasika. First 500 jumps were out of a Cessna 206. And then after shortly after that, I went to a turbine drop zone, Scott up Twin Cities, and they had an Otter and then a Pack and then a Caravan, but just, you know, a, one turbine aircraft. And then started to travel around a lot more, but to start at a 206 drop zone and then go to a place that has about 85 Otters and 382 <laughs> Skyfan. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, so it's like you definitely get to see the spectrum of that mm-hmm. too. And so it's it's actually kind of nice to have that experience because you get to see how the different drop zones operate. Yeah. And you under, and then you also understand why USPA rules are written, written the way they are, why mm-hmm. our instructor ratings are the way they are, because they have to cater to all those kinds of facilities yeah. too. So why did you start jumping to begin with? This is, this is something I don't know about you. So I'm curious, like, why did you start jumping? Um, I don't really know either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. The end, the end. Full story, huh? Um, no, I, it's something I'd always wanted to do. I mean, I remember as a kid, like seeing skydiving commercials on TV and just being like, oh, you know, that makes sense. And then I had like visions of taking my bed sheet off the garage and, you know, trying to jump that way. Mm-hmm. It was just something I'd always just thought about doing had always just wanted to try to do and then you know the quintessential pivotal moment of life in my early 20s called a divorce <laughs> and all of a sudden reclaiming my life mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the, the longer I've been in this jump in this sport you realize how many people start jumping you know because they survived like cancer or addiction or divorce and every time I meet someone's like oh I started jumping after I got a divorce it's like oh cool high five club d me too <laughs> Club D. <laughs> and so that's that's kind of how how it started. I just had this opportunity to do it. And for me, it was it was not so much about the skydiving at that time as it was about reclaiming a portion of my life, just finding mm-hmm. finding that freedom, you know, leaving a situation where I just felt like I didn't have as much say or control in what I wanted to do. And then all of a sudden feeling like I was taking this thing and, and symbolically making it a decision that I was making on my own. Yeah. And then I kind of took that and ran with it. <laughs> so my very first actual skydive, well, so my, so my first tandem, ironically, was down here in Eloy um, and where I'm now working as a physical therapist and as a skydiving instructor, it's like sort of where it all began. But when I got back up to Minnesota, after I'd made my first tandem down here and I signed up for a first jump course, I didn't tell anybody like okay. so this is back at this is back in the myspace days i'd put my yeah. my avatar up on myspace <laughs> my friend still a longtime friend chris armstrong 
was uh, out of uh, Skydive K-State, Skydive K-State, out of Wamega, Kansas. Saw my saw my avatar in MySpace. It was a thing of like cool new people you can know. And he said, "Oh, great tandem photo. Have you ever thought about you know signing up for a first jump course?" And mm-hmm. I said, "Oh, funny you mention." I came up here, you know, I done my, did my tandem in Eloy, came back up to Minnesota, reached out to this club and the club president said, well, it's October, it's going to be too cold to jump. You should just start again in the spring because you're going to go on current. And, you know, so I felt kind of discouraged. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I happen to be the club president of Scott K State and we're having a first jump course this weekend. Why don't you come on down? And I was like, well, this sounds legit. For sure. <laughs> I mean, now we know this is how Craigslist killers are, you know, are come about. <laughs> how people go missing. But here I am back in 2006, like, yeah, that sounds great. And I didn't want anyone to know what I was doing. Because again, mm-hmm. this whole reclaim my life thing after, after divorce, I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my classmates. I didn't tell my sister who I tell everything to. Mm-hmm. Told nobody. Split town on a Friday <laughs> when I was done with class. Drove down to Skydive K-State, Omega, Kansas, eight hours away. Never been there before. I mean, I had to print out the Google Maps on my computer because <laughs> we didn't have we didn't have it on our phones at the time. Told no one I was going. He was even like, oh, yeah, you can crash on our couch. I'm like, yeah, these are a couple college guys. Seems totally fine. Also, there's something in my gut that kind of reminded me of like the ski community back, back growing up in Montana. This just seemed like it was normal for the skydiving mm-hmm. community. Turns out, fortunately for me, it is. Fortunately, yeah. Chris Armstrong is to this day a good friend and didn't murder me. So <laughs> he taught me how to skydive, which is great. But yeah, I drove down there, stayed on, crashed on the couch of uh, two instructors that had no idea who they were, bet them on mm-hmm. MySpace a week prior, took the first jump course in their living room, and then was doing my first static line. Ah. Also forgot my driver's license, so I didn't have oh. that. So <laughs> like, <laughs> nothing. And so I did my first uh, ground school, did my first static line jumps, and then drove back to Minnesota nice. and then signed up. And then I was able to call the club in Minnesota and say, hey, I did my first couple static lines. So it turns out if you guys are still jumping, I've done a couple yeah. static line jumps. And they were like, oh, okay, well, I guess, yeah, it is warm enough. One of those years was unseasonably warm. So I was able to finish my static line in Minnesota and then continue my license. And I got my license in December that year. Dang, so. you got it in the winter. Wow. It did. Well, and so it's, it's funny because um, uh, like Carl and Mariah uh, mm-hmm. at that time, they, Mariah once told me, she's like, wow, you were a load organizer, even as a student, because here <laughs> we were in the fall and I would, I would call, I got to know the pilot in Wasika. His name was Scott. And I called him up and I said, Hey, it looks like it's going to be warm weather this weekend. Are you, are you available to fly? Mm-hmm. Because I really wanted to get my license. And he was like, yeah, I'm available. And then I call like, Carla Mariah and like um, Nick Halseth, I'd be like, Hey, I want to jump this weekend. Are you available to coach me? And they were like, <laughs> sure. And then I would call Adler and be like, Hey, I've got some coaches, got some fun jumpers, like Luke, Sabrina and Fargo. Mm-hmm. If they want to come down and jump, there's some fun jumpers that want to come down. I've got some set people that said that they would coach me. We've got a pilot. Can we open this weekend and jump? And he was like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't just load organizing. That was managing the drop zone at that point. That's a, that's a, that is a, unique <laughs> intro to skydiving story that is that is that is special thank you <laughs> so instructor ratings what you got yes. what you got under your belt um i got my coach rating in 2008 and then i got my aff rating in 2011 and that's it and that's it <laughs> that's it <laughs> is uh our tandems in your future anytime soon or what do you think uh 
no. <laughs> Squeezy, I love you. I think I admire I admire what you do. You're a shorty little tough girl that can manage all these really big tandems. And I think it's dope that you got your tandem rating when you were a young skydiver, and especially as a female. And I high five you and applaud you. Not for me. That's all right. It's fair. I cheer totally on my fair. female friends that do it. No, thank you. It's totally fair. Totally fair. Yeah. <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> Not interested. It's all right. It's all right. What made you want to get your instructor ratings? I remember when you got your AFF ratings. So I'm curious, like what made you want to do yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I just, I liked the idea of being able to teach people how to do something that was super cool. I, I think that what, it, what inspired me is honestly, um, Nick Halseth. And it wasn't, it wasn't like he was somebody who was pushing me to get my instructor rating. It was more because, you know, like I had some instructors who were good. I had some coaches who were good, but then when all of a sudden you have an instructor who's available to answer your questions, who you can reach out to and you can text and you can email and you can pick their brain and you can be that annoying student <laughs> and just to get all that information and to have somebody who is there and available for you to do it and to answer those questions and not be bothered by it. And now all of a sudden you're, you're connecting with an instructor who who's able to give you information that in, in an applicable way and in a way that makes sense and in a way that gives you confidence in how you're flying and what you're doing, not just in free fall, but also with canopy. And so it, I was inspired to get my instructor rating because I wanted to be able to teach people the way that, that I was taught in a way that, that worked really well for me mm -hmm. or teach in a way that I was not taught, <laughs> you know, that for like the other instructors that, that didn't do as much for me either. Mm -hmm. um, and just being able to be an advocate for the sport I don't know. It just seemed like a really rewarding way to make myself a better skydiver and to also a, a really rewarding way to get more knowledge about the sport as well and to just give back to it. There's also the bonus of like, wow, and now I can actually make my skydives pay for themselves, which is yeah. great. Um, but what was nice is at the time I had a job that was pretty decent, well, decent paying. So I didn't mm -hmm. have to go into it for the sake of making money. It was, it was just more of like, it was nice to make the sport pay for itself and just, um, and to just have that reward. Yeah. Like I said, of, of just passing on information so you can see people actually come out and become quality skydivers mm -hmm. versus come out and become scary skydivers. All right. Yeah. Cool. I like that. What, what kind of wing are you rocking these days? You, I still directly associate you with the Jedi. So I'm curious, like, what is it? Oh, yes. I know. I know. It's almost embarrassing now to be like, oh my what? God, I've been a Jedi for so long. No. I love that canopy. No. Until it, it was a good canopy. It was a good wing. I really liked it. I mean, you look like a goober coming in from landing. You're in the airlocks. You're keeping all the air. Like you just have like this marshmallow. You're like, I can't control the canopy in this gust of wind. Trying to walk in from the hangar. You look like an idiot. But it was a great wing. I loved it. I loved how it flew. And then it blew up. And so I couldn't, you know, that was mm -hmm. that. But um, up until recently, the Crossfire, I had the Crossfire 2, uh, 119. And I am on order. Saber 3, 120 is coming. How you liking it these yeah. days? How you liking the Crossfire? Have you jumped to Saber 3 a lot? Too? Yeah, I actually, sorry, PD, I kept your demo way too long. But yeah, I put it <laughs> yeah, I I love the Saber 3. I love the Saber 3. I loved the Crossfire 2 for a long time. Um, I liked the Crossfire 3 as well. What I love about the Crossfire 2, truthfully, this is just me being an old, old lady in the sport. I have a jacked up neck like all of us mm -hmm. do. And I just really loved having a nice like five to 600 foot snivel. 
mm-hmm. on heading every single time, mm-hmm. just no drama with the openings whatsoever. And I just like the, like a slightly flatter glide because then you can, um, I mean, especially doing load organizing and AFF, you don't know where in the airplane you're going to be. You don't know mm-hmm. where like for your spots going to be. I mean, I can get back from any spot with that canopy. So it was just nice to have something that was consistent and yet it was still pretty fun. The Crossfire 3, I thought was really fun too. It was a really great canopy. Like steeper glide, which was fine. I remember the first time I did a demo on it and someone said, hey, it has a longer recovery arc. And I came into land on my first jump, but I remember feeling my GoPro helmet move up, meaning that I was raising my eyebrows as <laughs> I was coming in. And I walked up to Riley, the, the rep, and I was like, yeah, you were you were right about the recovery arc. I wasn't scared, (laughs) but I was alert. (laughs) And the Sabre 3 has that as well. But I feel like it's a a kind of a perfect blend between um, like the the Crossfire 2 and the Crossfire 3 for me. And I mean, I'm not somebody that does a lot of high performance turns, Mm -hmm. but I like that you can still do like some really fun sporty stuff with the Sabre 3, but it's also just a a good basic, it's like a good hybrid Mm -hmm. between something that you can do more advanced flying with, but also just if you need to just do a straight in approach, it's great for that too. It's, it doesn't yep. need like that speed and that power, like some of those higher performance canopies do in order to have a, a good landing. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause Bert and I were just talking about this too, on his episode, um, okay. about, about how much we're picking and choosing our canopies based on like how much work we actually want to like put in, <laughs> like put into our canopy flight. Like we I'm both wanted pretty lazy. Yeah. We both <laughs> wanted to like lazy. just go fast enough to like have fun, but not so much that we had to work really hard to like save I ourselves on landing. Work. Like <laughs> if I could just like sit in my harness and just lean a little left mm-hmm. and lean a little right. Oh, dope. I'm setting up for my pattern. Cool. Oh, cool. Now I can grab my toggles and flare. Awesome. Yep. Like <laughs> that's about how I want to work. <laughs> So next question, beyond uh, skydiving and beyond physical therapy, like what other kind of hobbies do you have? You mentioned skiing at one point. Yes. So I grew up in Montana. Okay. Um, a girl from the mountains. And so I started skiing from a young age, um, mostly cross-country skiing. I don't really remember the first time I was on cross-country skis. And then later in elementary school, started downhill skiing. And so did that quite a bit uh, growing up, just being outside. Like, well, I grew up in a family where we were just outside Mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, we were like skiing in the winter and the summertime was like hiking, camping. We did a lot of canoe camp trips as a family. Those would be sort of our family vacations as we would just uh, go on a river for a few days, load up two canoes with a bunch of gear and the dog and just get in the canoes and just float down the river and then camp along the way. You know, I had a really good dad. I had a dad that taught me how to do a lot of stuff, like set up a tent and start a fire and how to survive in the woods and just how to make sure that you have the proper equipment for doing what it is you want to do and just how to fix things and how to take care of yourself. And so um, I feel I, I was a kid that was fortunate that I was never wanting for anything. And at the same time, had no idea how little money my parents made. Yeah. And now as an adult, looking back, those childhood memories were like so incredible. And I feel really, it's really nice now living in a camper full time to have skills of just how to survive. Thanks mom and dad. (laughs) Cause it's a different kind of way of living. It's Mm -hmm. not easy. And so, but yeah, so it's just like lots of outdoor stuff, just camping, skiing, canoeing, hiking, just enjoying nature. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Family time. I also, the fun, fun little fact as well that not a lot of people know is I also played violin for 20 years. I knew that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you, I think you did know that. So <laughs> I'm cultured and shit. I remember um, calling, I remember, who was it? I think it was, uh, I think it was Karen. She was videoing you at one point on a FaceTime 
call. I can't remember what the circumstances were or why we were on the FaceTime call, but suddenly Dinger was yeah. there playing the violin in her, in her living and room. People are like, like, what is this? And I'm like, mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did. Yeah. I played violin. Um, just grew up in a musical family. You know, my sister's an opera singer and a piano player. My dad sings and plays guitar. Yeah. So I played violin growing up and I played in a symphony orchestra in high school and in college and took private lessons for a long time too. Nice. So um, I did teach myself how to play the ukulele because that travels yep. really well in a camper. And truthfully, I only bought the ukulele because it was blue and I could call it the bluke. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I just like, oh, cool, it's blue. I can call it a blue. That's and it's fifteen dollars on Amazon. That's I'm a buying great it. idea. And that's a great reason to buy it. I thought so, and <laughs> so, and so I said, but it's great. It turned out to be a really good <laughs> impulse purchase, and because now I play a little bit of ukulele. Nice, that's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. So, yeah. Do you remember what your first jump was like? Yes, I do. Um, very much so. I even remember my first instructor as well. Okay. I was here down in Eloy. Um, it was with Adam Derbiano, okay. who I saw for the first time since my tandem at a friend's wedding here about a month ago. <laughs> so I made my first tandem August, 2006 with Adam Derbiano, saw him again for the first time mm -hmm. in October, or sorry, November of 2022. Okay. How, how did that go? But it was, well, I knew who his wife was because she ran the school and I knew that that was his wife. And so when we were at the wedding, I was like, oh my God, you don't remember me. But I'm sure you, I'm sure you do actually. Cause you know, as Sam said, I have so many accolades. But <laughs> it was really, it was really cool to see him again. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I, I know what it's like as an instructor, when you see someone you're like, oh yeah, you taught my first jump course. And it was like a decade ago and you're like, shit, I don't remember you, but it's cool to see him. Um, but yeah, the first jump, I remember like not really being nervous at all. I was just super, I was just super excited. I'm like, this is like finally happening. And again, it kind of goes back to the whole thing of just like reclaiming my life. Mm -hmm. So I was like getting to do something. And it was so, it was so neat and so different. And I just remember feeling like I wanted to pull him out of the airplane. Like, let's go. When we were under canopy, I just kept asking like all these questions mm -hmm. of like, oh my gosh, how do you know how to fly this thing? And he was like trying to explain like this pattern to me. And then I started asking some more intricate questions about a pattern. And he was like, you know what? How about you just... And, <laughs> and then just sign up for and sign up for a first jump course. And now jumping, you realize that this is the instructor's yeah. way of being like, shut the fuck up, kid. <laughs> just shut up. I got a job to do. Please let me do my job. And if you're that interested, just take a jump course. Yeah. I don't have the time to deal with you right now. <laughs> but, but you realize like that's, it, he was very, but he was very, very polite, polite about, about it. it. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> and so I did. I, cool. Do you have um like one or maybe two jumps that stand out in your mind as like super memorable or like the most enjoyable? I, I hesitate to say favorite, but like, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I totally understand that. Like you don't really want to say, you can't really say favorite yep. because it's like, um, but just like, I definitely have some memorable ones. One of them is actually with you. And it was in Sebastian when we were, <laughs> when the oh, entire that the... load landed oh, off. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> you remember yes. that? When, Styrofoam like, factory. I think for... <laughs> the Styrofoam factory. Like Fernando and a couple people maybe made it to the golf yeah. course. And then some other people landed off. And I just, and then there was you and me. We were like the last ones on the plane. Mm -hmm. And I remember like you and I had like this telepathic communication under canopy of like, are we going to the ocean? No, we can't quite go to the ocean. Should we go this way? No, we can't quite make yep. it to the golf course. And then we were like, we're both turning towards the neighborhood. And I think we realized at the same time that there was power lines 
crossing like the streets so we can't really land in a neighborhood and we see this tiny little patch of grass just with this halo around it of like come here you can land here and like we landed in like this tiny little area and I think you and I were both just stoked of like wow we're both sub 1000 jumps and look how awesome we are that we landed off and our accuracy was that good. And I think we were just more stoked about the fact that we like were unsure of where we were going to land and we were in a situation yeah. and we pulled off some really dope accuracy for some sub 1000 jumpers. We we're like, yes, look how cool we are. We landed off safely. I remember being scared, but also like, damn, I'm a good canopy pilot at the same time. So it was like... I good. It was yeah. a good memory. I mean, um, I knew on that jump, I knew that like we weren't making it back like right away. I opened up and I was like, oh no. <laughs> like, I know. Oh no. And I just, I could like, <laughs> it was funny because I just remember like turning this way and I look over at you and you turned your canopy that way. And I remember turning back another way and you turned your canopy that way. And you could just sort of see the question marks uh -huh. above our head and we're turning the same way of like, where do we go? But yeah, I remember that one. And then um, one of my more memorable jumps too that I had recently and when I say recently, I mean like a year ago, um, but it was actually here in Eloy. And why I loved it so much was because it was the first time in a long time that I had hired a private coach for myself. Okay. And so it's like, here I was paying for fun jumps and paying for a coach. And it was a long time since I had done that partially because of COVID and partially just because I was always the load organizer and partially because I was also always the AFF instructor. And finally, I was doing something to invest back in my in my coaching and my fun jumping again. It had been a long time since I had paid for that coaching in the air. And I went up to my good buddy, Taylor, and I just said, Taylor, I've got 3,000 skydives and five of them are tracking jumps. You're an angle coach. Please teach me how to angle <laughs> because I know how to free fly. I know how to belly. And I know how to do AFF. I don't know how to angle fly. And I see all my friends doing this movement stuff. And it's kind of embarrassing that I don't know how to do this. And it was like just super fun having that experience of paying for coaching again and paying for fun jumps again and learning something and like going through the frustration process. Mm -hmm. Like I was enjoying the frustration of like, okay, I know what my top half is doing, but not my bottom half. Yeah. Okay. I know what my bottom half is doing, but not what my exits are doing. And just enjoying that frustrating process and then coming down and like when you finally have a jump where you nail it and looking at Taylor and just actually saying to him like, damn, scattering is really neat. This is neat. <laughs> Oh, that's neat. I had a lot of fun. Isn't this neat? This is neat what we're doing. And so it was, <laughs> and so it just, it's a memorable day, I would say, just because of um, finally as an experienced jumper after so many years of just investing in mm -hmm. my own progression again. And it was really cool and a good reminder as to why we need to continue to do that as skydivers. Yep. It keeps you from getting burned out too, like progressing and like, totally. and like putting, like investing back in yourself, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think other memorable jumps are just ones from crazy injuries, but yeah, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of like, I, I don't like asking this question because I feel like it's the woofo question that we always ask, but like, what's your least favorite skydive? Yeah. Like, what was your scariest skydive? I mean, like when we say least favorite, it's usually yeah. com associated with something scary that happens. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I can think of at least four <laughs> for me, like at least four instances <laughs> yeah. where I was like, didn't like that. That wasn't fun. Oh, like like your two out yeah. where that tandem passenger pulls your reserve car. Yeah, right. I remember that day. Or 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 the time <laughs> where uh, I got hit so hard in my face that I almost blacked out. And, you broke your yeah, jaw. Broke my face. Yeah. Like there's there's yeah. there's a handful of them where I'm just like, don't like that. That could have gone a lot different, you know, than it did. Yeah. So like, if you want to talk Those... about it, you can. If not, like that's totally fine. Yeah. Too. I got injured. As weird as it sounds, we're not necessarily my least favorite. Um. 
because they were also kind of exciting in a weird way. <laughs> I, would say, I would say like my least favorite ones are just like the days where you're having like lots of zoo dives yeah. and like nothing is really coming together. And you're just like, oh God, I'm just wasting everybody's money and my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I've definitely had some gnarly experiences in the sport. Um, you know, I had a double malfunction on jump. And I, the reason why I know it's jump 454 is I got a tattoo of a bomb exploding on my ankle mm-hmm. with a number of 454 of like, that's a jump my ankle blew up. Um, and it's also the day only my ankle blew up. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the way I look at it. Cause I was able to, to get myself out of a dicey double mal situation and only broke my ankle instead of going in, which I thought I was going to do and which everyone else thought it was going to do. I did have a day where I was load organizing and a guy dislocated my shoulder and it ended my season and I had to get shoulder surgery. I had a jumping in mile high once with some friends, had a premature deployment, destroyed my Jedi. Mm-hmm. Jedi, which ended up in a Denver landfill because I didn't have the room in my, in my bag to take it home because I had to borrow a canopy from a friend. So yeah, definitely some some dicey moments for sure. But um, takeaway from all of those is just keep your cool. Yeah, you know, like even when I had that double mal, or even when I, you know, when my arm was flopping around in free fall because my shoulder was dislocated. If your immediate thought is just goes to problem solving mm-hmm. instead of I'm like, oh my god, what am I gonna do? But you go, okay, here's the situation, and if you can just stay calm and assess the situation, you can get yourself out of just about anything. Yeah. Yep. If you if you stay calm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree, man. That's um. Yeah. I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of people, especially, I mean, for us, it's a little different, you know, like we were, when, when these things are happening to us, we were at the top of our game, you know, like we were, we were as current as we were ever going to be. And it's something that I think people don't really think about, like the general, the general skydiving community don't necessarily think about Mm -hmm. as, I mean, I mean, maybe not don't think about, but like they haven't had the experience. So it's hard for them to relate you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, you can't, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So you can't really relate to it because you're, you're unaware of it, but I would absolutely agree with you on the currency thing. I think, you know, like we had a student, um, at the last place where I was, where I was teaching where she would show up every time on jump 29, mm-hmm. you know, so she was, or sorry, on day 29. Okay. So she wasn't technically yeah. uncurrent. I liked the way that we taught that we always went through. We always reviewed EPs, like how we started um, jumping every day with students at CSCs. We started every day with EPs and every day with emergency procedure review. And the whole class sat down together and we talked about landing pattern and we just go through stuff. So everyone was staying current with some of that information, so which was helpful, mm-hmm. but always showed up on day 29. As a licensed jumper, that jumper always showed up on day 58 mm-hmm. <laughs> as an A licensed jumper. So barely staying current. Sure enough, this season, we saw that jumper have a couple of really weird malfunction situations. Also watch that person have an AAD fire. And as you're kind of reviewing as a former instructor of theirs, you're trying to review some of this information. You realize that this jumper isn't retained. Like there's just stuff that you know you went over Mm -hmm. as an instructor, but you're seeing them not be able to recall that information as a licensed skydiver. At first you're like, oh God, where did I fail them? And you start to feel bad. But you start thinking about like, man, if you'd only shown up on day 10 instead of day 29 mm-hmm. as a student, and if you'd shown up at least every couple weeks instead of once every six weeks as a licensed jumper, yep. some of these things might be a little bit easier to handle as a newer jumper. Mm-hmm. And then you have that information. And then, because even when I had my double mal, it was at the end of the season, yeah. you know, it was my second year of jumping and it was jump 454. So I had almost 500 jumps in two years of jumping. I was super current. I was able to deal with it. When my shoulder was dislocated, it was in August that year and I had made probably made three or 400 jumps that year and I 
bunch of them were load organizing. So it was super current. And I understood how to deal with zoo dives. Mm-hmm. And now, so it's like, you just, you understand how to deal with that stuff when you're current and people don't realize that like what keeps you the safe jumper in the sport is currency. Yeah. And even if you can't jump, especially in the Midwest where we have weather, just being at the drop zone and getting information and having the conversations mm-hmm. kind of like circling back to something we talked about before the show is that you know, one of the things that I think that we think is getting, that might be getting lost a little bit is just people having those conversations, Mm -hmm. having those conversations gives you the confidence in you and confidence in the knowledge that you have, gives you currency and just your gear, like you're confident and your, your routine with your gear maintenance and your gear checks. And there's so many things that are just super routine that you're not complacent on that you have the confidence of like, ah, I know my emergency release system is going to operate. So I don't have to worry about what I'm going to do if, because, yep. and if it doesn't work, you're so current that you can at least pause and make some of those, yep. those decisions. Yeah. So. so to like circle back to like what we were talking about before, or before this episode started, we were talking about how hard it is to keep having these conversations these days because COVID, you know, it's keeping people apart. Um, and then after, I think in the last few years, like in the last like four or five years, at least um, up here, like at Skydive Twin Cities, the the kind of not I don't want to say the party culture, but like the after hour culture has changed quite a bit. And maybe it has something yeah. to do with, like you said, the advent of like the tunnel being here. So like when the weather's bad here, they can just go over to the tunnel. So we're not having mm-hmm. the chit chats around the bonfire. We're not having, yeah. you know, the windy day conversations about something that happened a week ago or two weeks ago yeah. or whatever. So. Like in, in that sense, like how do we have these conversations moving forward? Because, you know, if it's potentially going to stay this way where people just aren't hanging out outside of active jumping hours, like uh, how do we have these conversations? How do we encourage people to feel comfortable enough to ask people or ask questions or, um, you know, like I think half of what I learned is just over like kind of eavesdropping in on other conversations, just being in the same location as somebody who's talking, you know what I mean? Like. And I think that's part of it is like being comfortable enough to eavesdrop yeah. and then being comfortable enough to insert yourself in the conversation because yeah. that's what I would do too. Yep. You know, because like you just, some of that's just having that that, com- that comfort level. But I mean, you're right. Because like, like I was saying earlier, I'm old enough in the sport where I'm on that cusp of people that if it was rainy weather windy weather, you were still at the drop zone mm-hmm. no matter what. And now that we have the tunnel and now that boogies are focused more on like camp style and now that gear is so expensive and jumps are so expensive, people aren't going to drop drive out to the drop zone and hang out there if they can't skydive yep. and when people go to jump they're going to because of the just the expense of it people are investing in a certain kind of progression mm-hmm. so it's just a little bit different and they're not at the bonfire having those conversations and there's a lot of knowledge to be gained in those in bonfire chats yeah. and now what ends up happening is people seek out so much stuff online and what i would remind students it's so tough to sift through what what you're hearing online because everyone when you're a newer jumper sounds like they have a, a valid opinion yeah. and a valid input what you don't know is if it's actually valid. You don't know if that person's actually an AFF mm-hmm. instructor. You don't know if you're getting your information from the right people. And so like online is great, except for the fact that we, it's, it's not yeah. great. Yep. <laughs> it's full of opinions and it's full of garbage mm-hmm. and it's sifting through that is so difficult. Oh, so, so really like what I've had to just encourage students, I, and maybe this is the wrong thing and maybe I shouldn't say the wrong thing. This is just me not necessarily having the answers and me still being an old school enough jumper. Uh, like I just encourage people to still show up. You know, I'm like, just, you know, when students would text and be like, it's going to be a windy day. Should I bother to come out? I'm like, hell yes, come out. Cause there's so much that we can, we can chat about. Like there's so many, you can just get immersed in the community mm-hmm. and just what I would try to do as an instructor and as an, and as an LO is just say, just be there, be around the people, get into the community, start having those conversations, just get to know people's friends because you never know what conversations organically come up that, mm-hmm. that, that triggers some learning. I feel like what we're talking about, it, it, 
it's it works for a certain percentage of skydivers. You know this this idea of yeah. like reaching out and asking questions and just st- staying uh, hanging around and and whatnot. Like it works for a certain percentage of skydivers because like half of people are super outgoing and like they're very much extroverts yeah. and like they feel okay and comfortable uh, talking to people. But as you and I both know, there's a whole other uh, group of people. I like to say it's like the social misfits yeah. we finally yeah. get to be the cool right? kids we're finally the cool kids <laughs> you know it can be a little bit harder for those types of people to reach out and like put themselves out there and ask questions or even just feeling comfortable initiating yeah. a conversation right like sometimes man i should really just make a, a t-shirt that says like ask me anything <laughs> or something like and yeah, just wear really. that around the drop zone and be like don't hesitate ask me anything like whatever it is that, you know and i think it's like that's that's part of it i think that's why as an instructor i would and truthfully it would it was difficult because like sometimes you would like overextend yourself a little Mm -hmm. bit but like um but at the same time this is the reason why I did it it goes back to like my instructor Nick Halseth being available for me to ask questions and just trying to instill that that notion from the get-go of ask questions ask questions be present show up ask questions ask questions because if because if you have the question somebody else has the question you know teachers would always say that in high school and college and whatnot like don't be afraid to ask a question mm-hmm. at the same time in skydiving I'd, I'd say that I'd be like don't be afraid to ask a question but for real your life depends on it yeah. so don't be afraid to ask a question so just trying to trying to make them understand that this is the place you have to ask questions make them understand this is a place you have to reach mm-hmm. out and if you don't feel comfortable doing that in front of other people then do it in private here's my phone number here's my yeah. email this is my job as an instructor this is my job as an lo is to provide this kind of feedback so i don't really know what the answer is other than try to be available make sure that you're always learning make sure you're always here's here's all the resources you need for every piece of information Mm -hmm. so if i can at least do my part to drop that information early on and instill that mindset hopefully it helps encourage those who are too shy to do that Mm -hmm. or who don't want to reach out or you know to to at least understand the importance of it so they find a method that works well for them to do that yeah i get it that's, a, that's actually a really good way to say it, uh, going back just a little bit about how, like, your life depends on it, so, like, make sure you ask questions, you know? Like, that's actually yeah, a super yeah. good way to say it where it's not – you're not, like, having to essentially hold someone's hand walking them through the whole process, yeah. you know? It's like saying, like, this is this is not a, a place for you to not ask questions. Like, this is a sport that requires yeah. you to, like, go outside of your, you know, out of your comfort zone to some extent, yeah. and you have to ask these questions because it's going to it's gonna mean your safety in, yeah. some, in some situations. So, like, it forces people yeah. to do things that maybe they're not as comfortable with, and then once they – I mean, from my perspective, once you do it at least once or once or twice, you know, then it starts to become a lot easier for you to feel comfortable doing yeah. doing the things you have to do. So, yeah. yeah. And so, so yeah, I, it's hard to know what the, what the, like what, cause again, like we're like, like I said, I was on that cusp of like where things changed then. And I think we're on the cusp again now too, because of COVID, mm-hmm. you know, like, like everything went from like boogies and bonfires to then like camps yep. and, and now it's going to like more like social media. And so because everything's changing, it's hard for us to be able to keep up with exactly how do we pass information yeah. along and capture the people that we need to. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, there's still going to be students and newer jumpers and and just information in general that's going to fall through the cracks yeah. and we can't 100% stop that. But just trying to keep up with with the, mm-hmm. with how we get information out there is it's tricky. And so, like I said, because I don't have the answer to that, I just know an answer that I can do. And that's just try to just instill that mindset early on, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, and never stop learning. Yeah. Um, so last one of these kind of generic questions here. Uh, what is the most significant change you've seen in the sport since you've started? 
you've been around for a really long time. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you think is the most significant change? It's always interesting to hear what people have to say about this. God, you know, I mean, there's obviously the, the biggest things of like tunnel. That's a big change. Um, I, I've seen the development of angle flying. Yep. That's a big, that's a big change. That's a common one for um, a lot of people like, to, to bring up. Yeah. Di- like I would say like angle flying dynamic and which just brings the idea of like dynamic flying. Yeah. Those are the biggest changes. Um, I think for me, and maybe this is just coming back to like, uh, like instructor stuff. The biggest change that I've seen is like one of like the biggest is how we teach and how we think about like canopy flight mm-hmm. because of how our gear is changing. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's things like just as simple as like, we used to teach like three stage flares mm-hmm. or like just like a slow single stage. And now it's like these two stage flares or like how we're, how we're teaching like more harness flying. Like you never got into harness flying until you were doing high performance turns on a high performance wing. Yep. So I would just say that the, the biggest change that I'm seeing is that we're teaching more advanced slash yet more basic mm-hmm like kind of information early on or you've been thinking about like how are we how are we approaching our, our site picture when we're coming into land or canopy so i would say it's things like that mm-hmm. so i i would say some of the basics on how we teach canopy flight and also some of the basics on how we even fly our bodies mm-hmm. i i started in the day when there was pizza and now there's not pizza and now boxes. there's shelf <laughs> yeah <laughs> i started in the pizza and now i'm and now i'm seeing shelf yeah. you know, like it just um or just even like with, with sit flying, like with where the arms are, like now you see more like rather than like a regular sit fly, now you see daffy. Yeah. Like what I think the biggest change that I've seen is that we've we've discovered the nuances of how to how to fly our body different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been a couple of tunnel instructors down here that talk about just the position that they hold their pelvis in when they're doing head down when they're doing head down carving. Like do they have like like a slight arch to the lower back or do they have more of a pel- like a posterior pelvic tilt? That's yep. a PT coming out in me. Sorry. Talking about hands. <laughs> um, and, and so like understanding the nuances of like going from flying pizza boxes to flying like more of a shelf position with your arms in front. And then even when you're head up flying, flying more of a daffy position, these nuanced changes in how we fly our body make it so much easier to tra- to make these transitions. And the easier and more fluid we can make these transitions, the more dynamic it becomes. And the more dynamic it becomes, then we realize that we can do so much with these, rather than calling it angle flying, these movement groups and do movement flying. And so back in the day when I was like organizing those 3D dives, like I said, they, they were very static where we'd go out and do like launch a belly point and then, then you're doing vertical and then you're doing tracking at the end now becomes one movement dynamic skydive where you're flying on all points of your body. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like, I've been it's like one of my goals early on as a skydiver and it's still one of my goals to this day. And I'm glad that it was one of my goals was to be able to fly proficient, even if not proficiently, fly well enough on all points of my body that I could go up and do any skydive with any kind of friend. Mm-hmm. And now you're realizing if I'm flying proficiently on all points of my body, that means that I can just fly dynamically. Yeah. So it's like taking, so I think now what we, what we've really done is how the sport has progressed a lot is we've, we've advanced from just static body positions and static disciplines mm-hmm. to like the, how, like blending these disciplines together and now calling them dynamic yeah. movement. Yep. Yeah. So, that's a, I mean, that's a really good observation because it's something that I didn't really realize until just like the last year or so that that was happening it's a really it it takes it takes the statement of like angle flying is the biggest new thing that I've seen in skydiving and it kind of takes it a step further especially after have like especially coming from someone who is around 
the drop zones and hanging out on the in the facilities where this yeah. is like super prevalent, right? You see it firsthand, like what types of uh, changes are actually happening versus just what we're seeing online, right. you know, from our little corner of the tundra. <laughs> and you're realizing, <laughs> and you and I'm realizing too that angle flying is just another discipline. Yeah, you know, it's like it, it's it's so yes, there's the advent of angle flying, but there's just the dynamic, like whether we're doing artistic free fly or whether we're doing static free fly or whether we're mm-hmm. doing belly and like big ways or whether we're doing like tracking groups you can throw in an element that makes it dynamic and I think that's the biggest difference is that we're making all of these things a lot more dynamic and because we're transitioning on all points of our body while continuing to move at the same time Mm -hmm. and so it's just it's a way of just blending all of those disciplines together into making it one fluid motion and I think the tunnel had a lot to do the tunnel had a lot to do with that and angle flying had a lot to do with that because now we can put them all together and now we have artistic free fly and now we have MFS yeah okay so moving on yeah you're a physical therapist (laughs) okay you've already you've already established this uh you've seen tons of injuries especially in the sport of skydiving right yeah you've seen broken bones torn ligaments dislocated joints experience and the the like right um everyone you know has trusted you with their body at some point or another right <laughs> like i mean yeah. to be to be super real right yeah. that's pretty blindly pretty right? <laughs> yeah fix um, me okay <laughs> so you you've been around for a really long time you're incredibly well versed on how we specifically beat up our bodies doing this sport yeah so in your professional opinion what are a few things that as skydivers we could be doing to just help our bodies while we're jumping? So like stretches, I'm talking stretches, exercises, eating, like whatever, yeah. lifestyle stuff, right? This is a re- really, really good question. Really good question. I'm glad you asked it, especially because like as I get older too, this is just something that we should all be doing for life in general, uh-huh. not just for skydiving. Just stretch. Oh my God. If there's, if you could do, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just stretch your body. And, okay. Now there's that being said, there are strength training exercises that we can do to make ourselves better. There are conditioning exercises that we can do so we have the stamina to make 10 plus jumps a day. You know, like eat well, get lots of sleep, all of those things. But if there's one thing that we could do as skydivers that would prevent the most injuries, and this is true for any sport, if you didn't, if you did no strength training, if you continued to drink like a fish and party all the time, if you could, if you actually threw in a stretching regimen, regimen, you would still be better off yeah. than if you did nothing. And I've learned this, I think, just now that you know I'm in my 40s. I mentally feel 26, but for the first hour of the day, I am reminded that I am 42. <laughs> and it's like I do, like I do, at 30 minutes to an hour of stretching in the morning, not because I want to, but because I have to, mm-hmm. <laughs> because my body is a piece of wood. And I noticed last summer. When I was just tired and I got out of my, my, my stretching routine at the end of the day, I was more lethargic. I couldn't make as many jumps during the day. And like the next day I'd feel a lot more sore. Mm-hmm. Every single skydiver is going to have a shitty neck because we go through a minor car crash every time our canopy opens, whether you have a long snivel or not, you're going through opening shock. Every single one of us has shitty shoulders because we've been yanked on in free fall. And we have to pitch every single skydive and yeah. we're getting, we have to hang on the airplanes. We all have shitty shoulders. We all have shitty necks and we're all going to just have like tight lower backs from like landings. And we're all going to have sprained and rolled ankles and bad knees because we've, we've rolled them on, on landings. They're not bad enough to keep us out of the sport. We continue to push through them over mm-hmm. some time. We just get stiffer. And if you do not stretch and maintain your mobility, it gets harder to continue to skydive. Okay. And now that, now that I'm working as a physical therapist on a drop zone, 
I would say the majority of the exercises that I give a lot of these skydivers is a stretching routine. Mm -hmm. And if you can have a morning stretching routine before you're jumping, you don't hurt as much during the day when you're jumping, which means mm -hmm. that you can recover a lot better and then you can actually continue to jump the next day. Stretching. Yeah. So, so that brings me into another question, right? So this is, I mean, I don't know how many people are going to be listening to this podcast, but <laughs> if, if people wanted to reach out to you, and potentially yes. like have an online conversation or like a Zoom meeting or something with you, with you like from afar, from a distance. Um, is that something that you are interested in doing? Is that something that you would be down to do, like to assist people? Like if if enough people. Oh my god, this, Sam! You've just inspired my next business plan. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah, let's do it. Sam's my manager. <laughs> I would assume that there's like a handful of people out there who don't have great access to this type of information and like don't know how right. to necessarily um reach out or who to go to or or whether it's not whether or not it's like something they can find through insurance or, yeah. or through like like how to just like independently find this type of information for us it was so easy because you were right there you know so like right. you and johnny ward they were you were just right there so it was easy <laughs> to just ask those questions or ask for right. help or ask for work to be done or, or whatever right um but for some people especially since we don't Johnny Ward's not super um, frequently out at the drop zone anymore. You're not at our drop zone anymore. Like, I'm if MIA. People, <laughs> if there are people up here who want help, like, is it okay like, for them to reach out for you, reach yes. out to you about this kind of stuff? And that's actually something, I mean, thanks to COVID, you know, like I kind of started like a, like my own practice a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then because of COVID, I ended up actually doing some online sessions with people, like some Zoom sessions. Mm -hmm. And just giving them some information, which is tough for a physical therapists like me, because I do like to do a lot of hands-on stuff. I'm yeah. a very manually based physical therapist, yep. um, but there's still information that you can give people like mm -hmm. over, over the interwebs. One thing that's been really nice is the fact that I've been able to blend my skydiving career and my physical therapy career. So because I can do them both here, it's, I've been fortunate enough that like when you're, when you're working on a drop zone with skydivers, they love it because you're not going to be the person that's going to say, nope, you can't skydive anymore because mm -hmm. you know that they're going to continue to skydive, especially in Eloy here when they're making 500 bucks a day doing, you know, military contracts, they have to continue to jump. They're not going to mm -hmm. give up that kind of money. So you're really working with a caliber of, of a skydiver and just the kind of, the kind of contract worker in general, where yep. it's not a matter of pulling them off their job. It's a matter of how do you keep them doing their job every day when they are injured. So from a physical therapy standpoint, I love that kind of challenge. Take the skydiver out of me. It's, mm -hmm. like a really, it's a really challenging way to work and it's a really fun and interesting and puzzle solving way to work. So I yeah. love that challenge as a physical therapist. And the fact that I'm a skydiver make, is a benefit for them because I know what it means when they're like, it hurts when I flare, it hurts when I pitch, or I'm doing mm -hmm. eight ways, so it hurts when I'm hanging on the plane. Like, I know what that means, so I can work around that. Mm -hmm. So as a result, it's, I actually have had a couple people that have reached out and asked me some questions just online or whatnot, but it is kind of morphing into this thing of like, hmm, should I do this and become more accessible as a skydiver that you can reach out to me and we can do Zoom sessions? From from my standpoint, I learned a majority of what I know about keeping my body trim and in shape and like how to counter the constant movements that we that we make yeah. as skydiving instructors, as tunnel instructors. Like I learned that over years of like year. trial and error, right? Like yeah. I learned it over five, six years of talking to people, of trying what yeah. works best for me, you know? So a lot of people I feel like are in a very similar situation as me where we don't really know where to go, but right. they also don't have the access 
that that I right. had, you know, like being close to you and Dave Delanave and David Delanave um, for sure. And and Johnny Ward, like where I didn't you know, like people don't have those types of connections, but they know there's something wrong and they don't necessarily right. know where to go or how to solve that we, situation. We definitely had like a very unique thing in Minneapolis. Yeah. I think like, like, like David Delanabri was like such a wealth of information and he mm-hmm. was so good at that. And like he and I worked super well together and I was very fortunate to be able to work, like do a lot of physical therapy along with personal training that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it just felt like it was like the perfect blend of stuff. And I felt like it was like this little hidden gem yeah. that we fortunately had a lot of access to and a lot of the jump up there were super fit and they weren't in pain and they were able to make the progress that they wanted to with their with their skydiving career mm-hmm. and also with fixing their injury because it was just like this great little nugget that we had up there i have toyed with the idea of maybe putting out like some sort of a blog um mm-hmm. i know that there's another physical therapist that started doing some stuff on, on parachutists who i know and she's a good she's a good pt it was but at the same time it was like good i'm glad she's doing it because i know who she is and she's a good pt but dang that was a lost opportunity <laughs> i really probably should have done that so really what it comes down to is i'm just gonna have to actually bite the bullet and probably start putting out more of like online information for people that are mm-hmm. accessible to skydivers I'll do that. Look for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that there's a huge, uh, there's a huge market for that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. like it's again, it's, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And how many of the, how many skydivers do you know that come from backgrounds that are well-versed in this type of, uh, self-care yeah. or like health, you know what I mean? Like there's, I think there's a huge, huge market for that kind of stuff, especially since we all know skydivers yeah. don't make shit you know, in the long term, yeah. like, we all know that we're, we have a hard time like retaining money, you know, or yeah. like, or you know what I mean? Like we all know that that's true. So we finally have five grand saved up and then we bought a, a Valkyrie. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> so instead of, a, instead of a car. <laughs> so having accessible, you know, I don't want to say healthcare, but having accessible yeah. care for your body like this, like that's, yeah. that's super important. So if you were to put something out like that or potentially we're brainstorming now, like potentially yeah. put it out on Patreon where someone has to subscribe like for a dollar a month or a dollar a week or whatever right. it is, you know, like that is a way to, to fund your, your skill set in and do it in a way that you can reach more people and you can right. broaden your kind of, you know. Um, your network, so to so to speak. All right, Sam, you've inspired me. Do it. <laughs> we're we're trouble. We're I'll, we're brainstorming right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. But yeah, so I guess yeah. To circle back to your question, number one thing you can do is stretch. Look for yeah. me in the future. I'll have a Patreon. <laughs> reach out to stretch more. Stretch more. Stretch more. Stretch more. Patreon. Yeah. TBD. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so like they, this kind of. I'm sh- I'm sure this is going to be the same answer here. Like I hear the phrase. I'm not very flexible, so that's why my arch is shit. Part of it is because of that. Part of it is because of that, because our hip flexors are super tight. So if our hip flexors are tight, we can't arch. People think it's all in their back, but yeah. it's actually in our arch. It's in, it's in our hips and our shoulder. Mm-hmm. So biomechanics lesson 101, my fellow jumpers. If, you're, <laughs> if your students can't arch, it's not about stretching their back more. It's about getting their shoulders to open up because we're all right here, like rounded mm-hmm. on our phones, head looking down. So I can't get my pecs to open up which yep. means I can't get my arms to open up because yep. I'm sitting all the time and I'm hunched. My hips are super tight. If I can't, arching doesn't come from our lower back. Arching comes from our hips. We tell all of our students to push your hips forward. Oh, but then your back is tight so you can't arch. If you're talking about push their hips forward and they can't push their hips forward, it's because their hips are tight. Yeah. There's a, there's the, the brain, the, like the, the big revelation for you. <laughs> so if there's, and, and then just as experienced jumpers, if there's anything that we should be stretching, it's our shoulders and our hips. 
If we stretch anything out, stretch your shoulders, get your pecs to open up, get Mm -hmm. your hip flexors and your quads to open up. If you can stretch your hips and if you can stretch your shoulders, you're going to make your arch a lot easier. You can make your skydiving life so much easier mm-hmm. because if we can arch and if we can arch and we can get our shoulders to open up, guess what? Now I can fly head up and I can also fly daffy yep. and my shoulders are loose. So I'm able to take grips while my, my hips are flexible enough that I can maintain it. Like my base of support when I'm jumping. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, it's that easy. It's just like stretch yeah. our shoulders and stretch our hips. <laughs> awesome. <The end. laughs> in, a, in a nutshell, done. Got it. I mean, obviously like there are injuries and stuff like that that can affect, you know, range of motion and, and For sure. in which case like it's a way deeper, you know, like conversation, more of a one-on-one conversation with yeah. someone you trust, but basic injury, injury pre- prevention for jumping would be stretching, especially shoulders and hips. Um, and if there are injuries that prevent us from being able to do that, that stretching alone can't fix, then it is a deeper mm-hmm. conversation that you have to have with a healthcare professional or someone like myself. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. Yeah. And usually there are, like I said, there's like, we, we can, I can find ways to help a lot of injured skydivers continue to be instructors for military or continue mm-hmm. to pack for military or continue to go on and compete at all like at nationals or whatnot. So there's ways that we can work around it for sure to, to make it manage, to make it manageable. Um, I think if you, you just have to also be willing to invest in your health. Yeah. You know, like I, my, my rates are much cheaper than what they were when I had a private, like a, like a private cash pay practice in Minneapolis because we are broke skydivers. But that being mm-hmm. said, is that the reason why I do that is to make it accessible for skydivers. So that mm-hmm. way they are willing to invest in their healthcare and they are willing to do it versus like, well, it's too expensive, but I have to go to worlds. Yeah. Okay. So I went to worlds and now I have to have a shoulder surgery. Yep. Which is cheaper. Yep. <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, 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 it's that it brings me back to the point of like, start having conversations. You don't know who's yeah. who, you know, like how, yeah. do you, how do you connect with people? Like reach out, have those conversations with people. Cause like, this is how you get into contact with, uh, with, um, all the right people that you need to, right. you need to like connect with. Speaking of having conversations too, it wasn't mm-hmm. until Facebook that people even knew my name was Erica. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, this is what I love about skydiving. Is everybody knows each other, like really knows who you are mm-hmm. without knowing what your name is or what your yep. job is or, or, or your background or anything, but they know mm-hmm. who you really are. And then Facebook came around and I'd friend people. They'd be like, Erica Mundinger. Mundinger. <laughs> Dinger. Oh, shit. That's yeah. Her name's Erica. Weird. <laughs> it always throws me for a loop when I hear people call you Erica and I'm like, you mean Dinger? <laughs> you mean, you mean it Dinger? Throws- <laughs> It throws me for a loop too when I call myself Erica. (laughs) No, but yeah, but yeah, I think that's the thing is you just have conversations and you find out about like the, 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 the drop zone is a wealth of resources. I have found electricians. Mm-hmm. I have found welders and plumbers. I have found lawyers because yeah. we're all are going to need them at some point. So <laughs> they they are there. There's doctors, there's lawyers, there's people that can do like trade work for you. Like it's the drop zone is a wealth of resources. Mm-hmm. We just have to start asking like who these people are and what they do. Yep. Because <laughs> they're there. All right. Moving on. So <laughs> you're a notable load organizer these days, I would say. Notable. I'm not as notable as I used I to be. Know. I, not okay. as, at one point I was notable and then I decided to do full-time AFF okay. and I became less notable, but it's okay. just okay. Um, I'm excited to not be doing like full-time AFF again. So mm-hmm. that way I can hopefully become a notable load organizer. I, it was nice to actually make the transition. I, I started load organizing at our drop zone, Scott of Twin Cities. And it was mm-hmm. because 
my favorite, my favorite camper neighbor and four-way teammate and just a <laughs> guy to make fun of Mr. John Shinnick. He and I saw like this, like this, this, vo- this void of where like we were teaching AFF and then you're seeing these newer jumpers come out and they're dangerous. They're dangerous yep. as hell. So it was like, we wanted to start load, load organizing up there so we could get people transit transitioned into the fun jumper community. Mm-hmm. That morphed into uh, me going down to uh, Chicago and skydiving by chance meeting um, the event coordinator down there, Becky Johns. And she heard that I was a load organizer and she thought, oh, maybe we should have you down for SIS. Going down for SIS introduced me to my best friend. I have to call her best friend. That's her nickname. Best friend, Chazzy Retz. Load organizing with Chazzy. Then she started dropping my name. So it's like what, what, became, what helped me become a notable load organizer a few years ago was just traveling and meeting people. If you mm-hmm. travel and you meet people, you start asking questions. Like you said, you just, that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing is ask questions, get to know people, find out who these people are. All of that, you have a network. Um, just having my network with her, she was able to drop my name and I was able to do a lot of really great organizing at some cool events and get to travel a lot. And suddenly I was like going to a lot of drop zones other than just scattered Twin Cities and scattered Milwaukee. I was like going to Chicagoland, I was at Los Perry, I was in Iowa, I was in Colorado, um, I was getting to travel to all these really great places and these really great events and get to know a lot of people and met some other really fun organizers. And it was mm-hmm. one of those things where you're looking around going like, I do not belong on the, the LO register, like the LO list with some of these people, but here I am and I'll take it. And it was really cool. What, um, what is your favorite kind of jump to organize? Do you have a favorite? I do. It's like, it's, I do have a favorite kind of jump to organize. There's two, there's two of them. I love taking the newbie free flyers up. Okay. Because I the ones that are like, I'm just gonna go up and do a solo sit. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say like so some of my favorite organizing to do is with those newer free flyers on those small groups because you get to see the light bulb click. Yeah. So it's like you're borderline doing a coach dump where you're like, this is how you hold a solid sit, like this is how you fall straight down the pipe. Those basic things that, that they haven't quite been able to get. Mm-hmm. And now you're doing it like in a one-on-one setting and you just see that light bulb click. So it's super fun because they come down, they're like, Oh my god, it's the first time I didn't cork. And yeah. like, and, and you watch them also track off safely. Yeah. So you get to, you get to see them have a light bulb moment, but you also get to see them employ some really safe skills at the same time. So it's yeah. really rewarding. There's, there's so much that people learn in those solo one-on-one yeah. like, jumps. There's like, especially with the right so teacher, much. the right communicator, like they can learn mm-hmm. so much. So much. And, I, so and I'm fast. very fortunate that I'm like, I'm a load organizer that just doesn't really care. So like, I'm totally fine with grabbing someone and just doing mm-hmm. load organizing solo. I mean, obviously you have to pay attention to see like, there's not too many load organizers on the airplane. So you're trying to be respectful of the drop zone. I also have no problem grabbing those people and doing mm-hmm. some smaller group stuff. And I don't really, I just kind of do what I want. I don't really care about like making sure groups are a certain size um, because I think it's really valuable and it's what creates a memorable boogie for some of those people and wants to keep them jumping because they had so much fun because they had that one-on-one experience, kind of like being able to foster that, that excitement for them. Um, yeah. otherwise, other than that, my favorite kind of jumps to do are like going back to like what we now call dynamic flying, but mm-hmm. I really like more 3d dives. I yeah. love doing like just a mixture of different skills because then you can take people who are free flyers that kind of know how to belly and you can take some belly flyers that kind of know how to free fly. And you can put them all together in one jump. So now you've got these two different people that two different groups of disciplines that are now jumping together and being mm-hmm. friends and you're having a blast. And then if they go to shit, they're also really silly. So everyone has a lot of fun doing them. So yeah, I love doing like the, just basically those mixed discipline skydives. Of all the boogies and all the events you've ever organized for, which one's your favorite? Which one stands out the most? Ooh, I, you know, I think it's gotta be Last Prairie. 
And I think, well, there's two, like two of them, Independence Boogie from like a few years ago, like back, like when it used to be super busy, that Chicagoland was just so much fun. Mm-hmm. So always had a great time at Chicagoland doing Independence Boogie. That's just a blast of a boogie and just a good group of people, a good larger mid-sized drop zone with a ton of great flyers and just a really fun vibe. So that's why I really love that drop zone. It's just like a, a good staple. Outside of that one, I really, really love doing Lost Prairie. And some of it's just the nostalgia because um, the 50th anniversary of Lost Prairie was ironically the first time I ever got a chance to jump in Montana, which was the state I was born and raised in. So mm-hmm. it was cool to go back for like a, a landmark boogie to a state that I'd never actually had an opportunity to jump in that I was born and raised in. And you realize like, oh, people get to jump in their home state and their hometown all the time. But realizing that I had never done that, it was my first mm-hmm. realization that I hadn't done that ever. I'm like, how have I never jumped here? And this is my, this is my home. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to go back for a landmark boogie, a 50th anniversary when there was like seven or 800 people there. Yeah. And just, it was just a blast. So, and plus Lost Prairie is just such a special place up in the middle of nowhere. You've got no cell service. You're really disconnected. It's beautiful. You're just in the Rockies, like way up North. It's just amazing. So. I remember when you first went and did that too. That was a, that was a few years ago. I remember that. And like mm-hmm. the level of, ex- you, you still talk about it with the same level of excitement <laughs> as when it actually happened. So that's pretty cool. Oh, really? Cool. Like, oh, oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. That's a cool it's pretty, it's pretty cool that it still holds like that much weight for you. That's pretty Yeah, cool. it definitely does. It definitely does. Yeah. So what's life like as a traveling AFF instructor? You know, you, you kind of, you don't stick to the same place. So I imagine there's a lot of yeah. different people you get to work with. Oh man, we love it. You know, like Emery and I moved into the camper because we were like, we were thinking like we were going to buy a house mm-hmm. and it's right in the middle of COVID. The housing market is also spiking. And so we're realizing that we can't afford to do that, but yet we want to start a life together. What are we going to do? And then Emery had this suggestion of like, let's move into a camper like full time. Mm-hmm. And at first I'm thinking I'm almost 40. <laughs> wow. I'm not going to do like this, this Instagram hashtag van life thing. Like what? Yeah. But then when I, when we realized that we're actually doing it because we need to save money and and figure out a way to progress like a, a lifestyle together when we're in like such difficult times, it ended up making a lot of sense. And now I would just, I would never go back. Yeah. The thought of being somewhere stationary and just working at one drop zone and just working at one clinic and going back to what I did for so many years of working in the same clinic Monday through Friday and then jumping at the same drop zone every single weekend. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. I like, I feel, I like the idea of feeling like Mary Poppins where the, you just go where the wind <laughs> takes you. It's, it's, it's great. Like we have like the perfect blend of like, we're settled for a little bit and then we gypsy and then we settle for a little bit and then we gypsy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we're, we're quasi stationary, quasi gypsy life. And it's amazing. Cause you just get to meet so many different people. Um, you get to experience different kinds of AFF schools and how people mm-hmm. teach. And so as an AFF instructor, I feel like my skill level and my knowledge has actually, even though I've been doing it now for 12 years, I feel like my knowledge base has actually accelerated quite a bit mm-hmm. because of traveling, because I'm around so many different styles of teachers and so many different styles of schools. Yeah. Um, so I feel like my, my knowledge that I can impart as an AFF instructor has increased substantially. Um, I feel like my skill level as a skydiver has increased because I'm jumping with so many different, different types of people too. Yep. And then there's also just a really cool thing. Like we were coming back from Moab and we're driving like through Monument Valley mm-hmm. and I look over at Emery and I'm like, who gets to see this stuff? Like the amount of stuff that we have seen in two years, just because we've been on the road is so cool. So like taking the yeah. skydiving out of it, taking everything else out of it, you, this country is so huge. And finally, for the first time, I'm seeing so much more of it than I was before, even though I'd be on an airplane every other month, I feel like I'm actually seeing more of the country just because 
we're driving across it. Plus, I mean, truthfully, we live a pretty cush life. Our fifth wheel has a washer and a dryer, <laughs> 380 square feet of living space. I'm sitting in a recliner right now that's heated. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. So, I mean, not only is it a cool lifestyle, but we're, we're a couple of bougie bitches for sure. <laughs> Our cat has an electric water fountain. We've got solar for days. We're getting, yeah. It's, it's, it's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Like, I'm going to leave it there. That is that is super fantastic. <laughs> like, uh, there's not a lot of people that have access to that kind of lifestyle. So it's super cool yeah. to see uh, when it's when it's like flourishing and when you guys are yeah. really like finding like your rhythm and finding your, you know, like, yeah. it's it's awesome. It's super cool. I to feel see. like like COVID really threw a lot of us into a midlife crisis. Yeah. And I feel like think partially thanks to Emery, I'm just killing my midlife crisis i'm really yeah. rocking it this is the best midlife crisis ever and i'm successful at it so it's, <laughs> it's a very successful midlife crisis of both financially and as well as lifestyle of what i want to do and it's awesome because like when someone says do you want to move into a camper full-time i you see people do that and you always think like oh that'd be kind of fun i never <laughs> thought it would be something that i would ever do and i'm just fortunate that i have someone in my life that's willing to like push me to do some of those things that are a little bit yep. uncomfortable and help make it attainable and now it's a lifestyle that we don't want to trade and uh -huh. you never meet anyone when you say like hey I'm living I live in a fifth wheel or I live in a camper full-time I uh -huh. haven't met a single person that's been like why do you do that every right. every single person's like gosh that's so cool that's so cool you yeah. I mean are you talking about skydivers or are you talking about everybody like anybody everybody you everybody yeah. you meet when they're like you get to have a mobile lifestyle doing what you want whether it's skydiving or physical therapy it's pretty cool I think the American dream has kind of evolved in the last few years um yeah. You know, to a point where it's no longer about having a house and having a wife or having a husband and having a family and having a stable right. job. It's not about that. It's about spending the time. I, I mean, this is just my perspective. Like people might contest this or you might might uh, uh, disagree with me about this. But I think the the American dream these days or like the, the dream for at least, you know, the younger generations is all about spending the time that you have as a young person and as a mobile person and like you know, like the best years of your life, spending them exactly the way you want to by traveling and like experiencing new things. And that's totally it. I a hundred percent agree with you because like, there's like, um, you know, our friend Karen who works in, who worked in HR recruiting for a long time, like a lot of time, like anymore, it wasn't going from like, what's your, like when they would recruit people for jobs, it wasn't like what kind of pay do you have? Yeah. It's what kind of benefits packages do you have? Like what mm -hmm. kind of PTO, like what kind of paid time off do you offer me? Yep. And I think what's, what's great about our lifestyle is I'm like, I don't like, I feel like I always have paid time off, but I don't yep. have paid time off. If I'm not working. I'm not getting paid, but yeah. I, I don't have to worry about it because it's like, you always have time off. You, mm -hmm. I think the American dream now is, is just having the ability to live the life you want without like, and whether, whether it is like you want to be settled in a house, but it's just having, having the ability to just not have things, but to have experiences. Yeah. Being able yeah. to have access to the things that you want, you know, or like have access to the things that you, you want to do with your adult yeah. life. Right. Like, I think that's, that's really more about what people are aspiring to, to yeah. uh, like as, as goals, you know, like that's what they're aspiring to. Um, and like this type of lifestyle, you know, if you yeah. have accessibility to a truck into, you know, buying a, instead of buying a house or renting a house, like putting money down yeah. on a trailer, you know, and learning about how to live in a trailer and like travel around in yeah. a, in a, you know. And that's the thing is like a truck and a trailer ain't cheap, but yeah. they were cheaper than a house. Yeah. The they're age, probably, you know? they're probably cheaper or at least on par with like rent. 
these days too as it's well. More, it's you know? more attainable for that for sure. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is like people really just want to have access to experience, not mm-hmm. access to things, but they want to have access to experience and they want to have access to like work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I think the other American dream is work-life balance because people just get so burnt out. Like mental yeah. health is on the rise. You know, that's an issue. Plus we're also under the, the, the thumb of inflation mm-hmm. and just limited, limited, uh, monetary resources yep. and because of that our experiences are limited we don't get to do what it is we want to do it's not just have what we want to have but it's just do what it is we want to do and I feel like we are in a position where we can afford our lifestyle because it's not I mean ultimately it's not as expensive as it would be to own a home plus we get to just see so much and in the meantime mm-hmm. we both have jobs that pay pretty well yeah and we get to like actually be able to pay our bills more comfortably than we were before all right so Last couple of questions here. What kind of advice do you have for new AFFI candidates? You know, like what would you like to say to them? If there's one thing that yeah. you wish you would have been told or maybe hammered in a little harder about your AFFI experience, like getting your rating, what would it be? I feel really fortunate um, that I got my rating with Michael Watkins. So I feel like everything he taught me actually came true. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, so thank you, Michael Watkins. Thank you for, for your, your invaluable knowledge. And I still use a lot of it to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the advice that I would give if I knew AFFIs is the same stuff that he told us that is actually true. Yeah. You can be the best flyer in the world. You can chase someone in the basement and dump for them and still deploy for yourself. And you're still above hard deck and you avoid Cypress fires. But if you can't explain and teach them how to not do that, mm-hmm. you're not a good AFF instructor. Yeah. So what I tell new AFF instructors and what I tell new coaches is if you want to be a good instructor, trust your flying ability. Cause if you don't trust your flying ability, you can't be there. You have yeah. to be there. End of story. I didn't always trust my flying ability in the beginning, but I learned to, mm-hmm. but just trust your flying ability and you know that you'll be there because if you can trust your flying ability, it frees you up mentally to be able to see what is actually going on in the air. And it also frees you up mentally to be adaptable to the learning style. That's yeah. what makes a good AFF instructor is be a chameleon for how somebody learns. Yeah. And like ad- adopt their language. Yeah. Like ask them, like start ask them questions about what they do for a living, you know, because if there's somebody that doesn't do anything that's very physical, you're going to have to spend a lot more time explaining the physical aspects of skydiving. Yeah. Um, and like doing like the, the actual, like the motions of it to understand, like to teach them how to be an athlete, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're speaking with someone who's really active, but more engineer mind. Great. Now you're, now you know that you know that they do engineering. Now you know that you can teach them more of the theory of the skydiving yeah. part. They're going to grasp that part of it. So just, so ask them what they do for a living and ask them what their hobbies are, because that will tell you what their learning style is and what you need to focus on mm-hmm. and don't over teach. Yeah. And it took me, it probably took me eight to 10 years to learn how to not, well, maybe not 10 years, but it took me at least like six to eight years to learn how to not over teach oh, for sure. Dude. Yeah. Dude. I mean, I go back to like some of my, AF, my first AFF classes. I'm like, God, how the hell did anybody learn? I know. Oh I know how to do EPs. How did anyone know how to do EPs? So they overcaught the wrong things. And some Same of that's just experience for sure. Yeah. But now as a, as an experienced skydiver, I think back to a lot of things that Michael Watkins taught us. And it's just, and that's why he was such a, um, a tough instructor when it came to doing the ground evals. I mean, I think he was, he, I think he was tougher on the ground evals than he was in the air evals truthfully. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it was because he understood the value of how do you pass on information. I would agree. And with that. so, 
Yeah. So it's, it's like, if you want to be a good AFF instructor, learn how to adapt your teaching style. And if you're not comfortable with teaching, figure out how to become comfortable teaching. Cause if you're not comfortable teaching, it doesn't give them, it doesn't matter what the fuck you can do in yep. the air with a student. It doesn't matter. It's not even, it's, it's not even like being comfortable with teaching, but like having enough tricks in your pocket, you know, to be yeah. adaptable to any type of student you have. Totally. Like that's like, sure. Uh, so for example, the best teacher I think I've ever, well, maybe one, I, I there were like one or two people, but like the best teachers I've ever come across in skydiving were Sharon Harnoy and Ty Baird. Yeah. Like Ty Baird. Yeah. They had so many different ways to tell you the same little bit of information. And like they were absolutely the best teachers I've ever met, not instructors. Yeah. Teachers. Like there teachers. is, there's a very different, it's kind of like how you would equate like professors and teachers, you know, like 100%. You know, like primary yeah. school teachers and professors, like professors and instructors have a ton of yeah. information. They have a ton of information that they can just spew at you. You know, like they're yeah. masters in their field. But teachers, teachers understand how to break down information in a variety of different ways, you know, um, to, to fit every type of learner, or every yeah. type of student that they come across. So to take your point even further, because I agree with you like whole, like 100%. Yeah. To take it even further, it's not about being a good instructor. It's about being the best teacher that you can possibly yeah. be. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. I this is a really great way of putting it. Maxine Tate and I had that conversation too. And I would say, like, if there's if there's people that were standout teachers for me, Michael yeah. Watkins was one of them when I was mm -hmm. getting my AFF rating. And then Maxine Tate is another one, just and she's another one too, just like as a stand, like an influential teacher yeah. for me, as someone that knows how to deliver information in a way that anybody can understand it when you see people like that, you're like, wow, like it's it almost yeah. make, it makes you want to emulate them a little bit. Mike Mike Silva is another one. That's just Mike like that, a great one. who it's like, like the amount of yeah. information that he can convey in like the smallest amount of words is like, like just mind blowing. Yeah. Very a way better, better tunnel flyer. Yeah. Very lucky to have learned, you know, the tunnel flying yeah. game from underneath him because holy smokes, like, yeah, completely changes like your ability to teach Totally people. different. Completely changes. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, last little question here. So kind of similar to the question I just asked you, but a little bit more broader spectrum. Um, if you could go back and tell yourself any one little bit of a piece of information, like if you could go back to your young dinger self way back, way My back in the self. day, <laughs> um, what kind of advice would you give yourself as a skydiver, as like a new skydiver? Um, don't put so much pressure on yourself yeah. because at the end of the day, you're still skydiving. Yeah. You're still get to do something pretty neat. As like I say, it's pretty neat. Skydiving is super neat. So don't put, don't beat your, yourself up so bad over like the tiny details that you're not getting. Yeah. Don't put so much pressure on yourself because at the end of the day, you're still skydiving and that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the fact that you get to skydive because that's something that you get to do. You yeah. get to skydive. So that's a good piece yeah. of advice. We, we see all these people accelerating through things so quickly, you know, and we feel like we have yeah. to like, we have to level up or we have to match that pace. And like, everyone learns differently. Everyone paces everyone themselves differently. differently. Enjoy your own learning process because it's a learning process you have to go through. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, like, even when I was learning how to angle fly for the first time a year ago, I was actually, it's like one of the few times that I remember enjoying the frustration of it because you wreck, like I was at a point in my skydiving career where I understand that that frustration is a necessary step to learning. And so like, just enjoy the frustration of it. Enjoy the learning curve of it because it's necessary. And there's a lot to be gained. There's a lot to be learned in the frustration part of it. Mm -hmm. So enjoy it and don't be too hard on yourself because at the end of the day, you're still skydiving. And so who cares if you didn't get that exit just perfectly? 
mm-hmm. at nationals. <laughs> Who yep. cares? You still got the job of a plane and that's pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear you. I agree. I hear you, I hear you man. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, that's all I've got for this episode of Fall Yay! Rest. Thank you, Squeezy. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Yeah. I'm super, super stoked. fun chat. This was a this was a super enlightening chat for me at least too as well. Cause like oh, there's cool. a there's a whole bunch of information in there that I was like, I have never heard this story before. <laughs> like, this. And I've known you Dang. for like I've known you my entire skydiving career. Time. Fourteen yeah. four, fourteen years now. So it's been it's been a long time. Yeah. So yeah, this is super fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. Maybe we'll have you back yes. on in a group setting where we yeah. screw around and have some fun, like, I don't know, yeah. chit-chatting about skydiving movies or something like that. Yeah. Know, we'll see. Oh, we'll I'd see. love that. That'd be super fun. So <laughs> thank you. I love you, girl. <laughs> love you too. Thank <laughs> you so much. All right. This is uh, Erica Mundinger on this episode of Fall Risk. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Um, have fun, be safe, and have blue skies. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Later. Later.